0: Good morning. morning. This morning we are going to continue finding our place in the church. And as Tim mentioned, our place in the church today is to give. And giving is not always a concept that we are comfortable talking about. There's a radio station I like to listen to while I drive here in DFW that is commercial free, which means it is member supported. So what that means is two months of the year, I think it's October and like March, They spend half of their time asking for money. And those two months of the year, I find myself in a different radio station because I cannot handle that. And so sometimes we feel the need to shut down and listen to something else when giving comes up. But giving is part of who we are as the people of God. Giving has always been a part of God's people, and especially surrounding worship. There are two Old Testament examples that are helpful, and both of them end with joy as the result of their giving. Because giving is not a duty. It's not just a duty. It is a privilege, and it is something that we can do together. In Exodus chapter 36, when the tabernacle is being built, Moses had to tell the people to stop contributing. And it says, "...so the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more." David also is a prime example in First Chronicles chapter 29 in the process of building the temple. When he begins the process of building the temple, listen to this. David asks, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses, of tribes, commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and officers over the king's work made their free will offering. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And so why is this such a privilege? Why is this so meaningful to us? And they gave the reason for their worship in verse 16 of First Chronicles chapter 29. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. God has given us so much. We have a wonderful opportunity to give back to Him. That is the joy in this. That is our help. And that is the result of our giving. That these stories end with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle and filling the temple. And so we have a motivation here from the Old Testament that we can give. And so giving is a part of the way we worship. It has always been a part of the worship of God. We cannot find our place in the church without giving. And so these worship settings of the Old Testament show us that. But Jesus also says a remarkable amount about giving. It's present from his birth to his burial. Giving is a part of who he is. It shows up in different parables and lessons throughout his ministry, and it is a uh, challenging concept for us because Jesus calls us to give so much. And so today we're going to look at a couple stories from the life of Jesus that will help us learn to give. And there are two women that will show us how to give as God's people. And so the first is the widow who gave two coins in Luke chapter 21. If you'll read along with me, we'll be in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. "'Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small small copper coins.' And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This story is a short one, but it carries with it a beautiful lesson for us. And that is simply, give what you have. This widow had very little, and she gave what she had. So Jesus, to set the setting sees the rich people putting their gift into the offering box. He's sitting to the side watching people approach the box and put their gifts in. And so this this story is worth stopping to picture in our minds, so if you'll go with me here. Jesus is sitting there watching the gates and watching this offering box, and he sees a rich man come up. He's wearing fancy robes and designer sandals. He may have an entourage. And there's this loud procession as he comes in. And then when he drops his gift in the box, it makes a loud chunk. People say, wow, what an impressive gift that person gave. Then maybe another person comes up with their money bags full, looking impressive, walking with their friends so that people can see them give. And then it makes a slightly less impressive sound when it hits the bottom of the box. And you think, their family owns a large farm outside of Jerusalem. Shouldn't they be giving more? And then you think, I might be able to take a break with this next one because this poor widow is by herself. She doesn't have fancy clothes. No one is announcing her presence. And then when she drops her gift in, you can barely hear the clink of the two coins hit the bottom of the box. Insignificant, right? Jesus tells us it is not. Mark's gospel tells us that in that moment, Jesus immediately called his disciples to him to say what he's about to say. Let's reread verses three and four. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What a remarkable contrast between the widow and these rich givers. But before we can talk about how we can be like the widow and learn from this widow, we need to see some temptations here in giving. And the first temptation is the temptation of their time, and that is to be seen by others for our gifts. They wanted to gain honor and glory for what they gave. Honor was the currency of this time of the world. That's what mattered most to people, and giving was a way of getting that. So much of the Sermon of the Mount was about this. You remember, right? The, the people would play trumpets as they gave. They would announce their presence and announce their gifts. And Jesus preached against that because that is not the attitude that needs to happen to make that happen. Can you imagine anything more distracting? The gift and who it's going to is no longer the, 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 the focus. It is now solely put on the rich giver that has taken all the honor for themselves. Jesus never speaks lightly of people who are hypocrites and given to be seen by others. He says in Matthew chapter 6 that they have received their reward in full. But there's another temptation that I think might be more um, in our shoes, and that is to fulfill an obligation. That we feel obligated to give and we feel like we should give and it's not a source of joy that pushes us to give but it's rather a sense of duty. And I think when we come towards giving with a sense of obligation and duty that robs us of the joy of giving. That robs the opportunity of giving to be as meaningful as it possibly can be. We give every Sunday because we're supposed to. We feel obligated to. It's part of our membership here. But if we limit it at that, that is only done because we we are supposed to, then we are losing something there. And so there's a temptation that we have to face, that we seek giving with joy so we can keep our gifts and keep our giving spirit with a sincere desire and a genuine love for God. But back to our widow in Luke, to see the lessons that she gives to us. Jesus, in this moment, seeing the rich people does not uh, say about them that they gave their... Uh, what well, Jesus does say, excuse me, that, that they gave out of their abundance. Their sacrifice was not as meaningful because the, risk in the, the rich in their gifts took no risk with their money, but the widow did. That's the difference between the two of them. A large chunk of our finances today go towards our savings. This risk thing is hard, hard for us. We save for our retirements, we save for our kids' colleges, we save for many good things, even saving for a rainy day, so that we are balancing our risk. And we use this term of risk tolerance in our finances. Warren Buffett used to have a story where he would ask people a question to see how they might want to invest their money. And he'd said, there is a beachfront property that is very tall, Do you want to live in the penthouse, where you have a great view, but if there's a fire in the building, you're the last to get out? Or do you want to live on the first floor? Still a nice building, not a great view, but if a disaster comes, you are the first to escape and be safe. And if you chose the penthouse, you were more willing to risk your money. If you chose the first floor, you were uh, not fine with risk. You wanted your money to be safe always. Well, this widow is not only in the penthouse, she is on the antenna on the top of the building, teetering on the edge. She has no sense of risk tolerance left to her. She has given it all to the Lord. She has left everything to Him. This might have meant that she didn't know where her next meal was coming from. It wasn't about the amount of money left in the box. She fell short of the rich men if we're only going by the sum. But we're not going by the sum, we're going by the sacrifice. And she sacrificed more than these rich men could because she gave what she had. Because God never cares about the size of the gift, he cares about the heart of the gift behind it. Sometimes we get caught up in the size of gifts, but that is not the way that God looks at them. Can you imagine giving like that in your time of need? You don't have three coins to rub together, you only have two coins to rub together and you gave them away. To put this in a smaller scale for us, this is giving so that you cannot eat for the day, not giving so that you cannot get your morning Starbucks. This is giving so that you hurt because of it. She risked so much with this gift. This story does seem counterintuitive to the idea of giving, though. When we think about successful giving campaigns in our world, and charities that are raising money for different causes, more is better, is it not? That if someone dropped in two coins to a charity, people would say, ooh, that's a failure. They want the rich gifts, but not in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is different because the approach is different and the gift is different and the heart is different. So are are our gifts a sacrifice? That's the question we've got to ask. The lesson that we need to learn from this widow is there is no risk too great for the kingdom of God. So are we going to give what we have? I know I have room to grow in this. And I I can guess that most of us have room to grow in this. Giving can hurt. It is a sacrifice. It may not be easy to drop in your last two coins. But again and again, Jesus pushed his disciples to free themselves from excess money. I don't know what you want to give away to the cause of God, and I can't be specific with you on what you should give. But that's something you need to search for yourself so that you know what you need to give. God's people gave what they had. Barnabas is another good example of this. He sold property so that the church could grow in the early church in Acts. He risked. He gave so that he felt it. He gave so that the work of the Lord could continue. He had faith in the face of risk and made an impact in the church because of the way he gave. And then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says a lot about worry in Matthew chapter 6. It would help us so much to remember how to give in the face of risk. We will be okay if we give because God will take care of us. And so Jesus reassures us in the face of risk. Listen to this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? We can face a life of giving because we have a giving Lord. That's why risk is manageable for the Christian. Because God is there for us and will provide for us even when we give facing risk. Although, to be honest, this widow is a little hard to apply because she had so little. Like, what's the difference between two coins and zero coins? Like, that's not very much. We have more than two coins So the question we have to ask ourselves, how can I use what I have for the Lord? I'm so impressed that we can learn so much from a widow who had so little. She gave what she could, and she did so willingly. Now we're going to learn from a woman who had more financially to offer, and that's in John chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. Let's see the setting again in this story. In the previous chapter, Jesus has just raised Lazarus. I'm sorry, I have two parts to that. There we go. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the penultimate moment of the book of John. There are several miracles that are given in the book of John in the first half, and this is the final of those seven miracles. Then... John transitions to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from there. This is leading to Jesus himself. And remember, Lazarus had been dead for three days. Jesus wept when he encountered the family's sadness. The family had been weeping and mourning surrounding their brother's loss. But they had faith that Jesus could have healed him before he died. And then when Jesus came, he raised Lazarus from the dead, And we are told that many in the area believed as a result. But then Jesus had to go to another part of the country because the Pharisees did not react well to this miracle. And so in John chapter 11, we don't get to see the uh, reaction and the, the joy of the family at the result of their raised brother. But that's what John chapter 12 is. This story is the story of the thank you dinner given to Jesus when he returns to Bethany. The family wanted to show him gratitude for the things he had done for them. Can you imagine the joy at this meal? How can you even find the words to thank Jesus for Lazarus coming back? So they threw him a dinner as a gift. So what a scene. Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus, and just a few days ago he was in the grave. And now he's sitting next to the Lord who raised him from that grave. What a picture. What an amazing scene. And then the gift happens where Mary takes in a pound of expensive ointment and anoints the Lord with it. They already had given Jesus a meal. Mary could have said, we already said thank you. It was likely a big meal. But she said, I want to give to the Lord this ointment. And it was a costly gift. This was 300 days wages. It was a very costly gift. So our lesson from Mary, is to give your best. Give your best. And so a couple of lessons for us how to do that. First, she didn't try to save some for herself. She used a pound, which was a Roman pound, about 11 ounces or so, and she poured it out for Jesus. She gave her best to Jesus in the way that she sacrificed all of it. She could have said the same thing that David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. She gave her best. And when we give, we should truly give. The law had so much built into it in the Old Testament about how we give to God. I think that's what made God desire burnt offerings. When we think about meat, we like the way it smells when it's cooked correctly. If it's smoked... If it's been pan-fried, or however you like your meat, we like that smell. But do you like the smell of burnt meat? So much so that you can't get your smoke detectors to turn off burnt meat? The Lord likes that smell. Why? It's because that sacrifice is spent. There is nothing left that the sacrificer can keep for himself. He has given it all to the Lord. It is beyond use because it has been fully given That's what Mary is showing us here. She had no more use for that ointment. It had been fully given to the Lord. And so when we give, are we trying to hold back for ourselves? Trying to give with part of it still in our hands and part of it given? Or are we like Mary, giving our best and giving it all? She also did it humbly. She washed the feet of Jesus and used her hair to wipe his feet off. She didn't try to make a big show of what she was doing. She didn't blow a trumpet before she washed his feet, but she got down and served. She put herself in a lowly position. That's giving. That there are no proud hearts in giving. We can't think we're something really special while we give, can't we? We can't think, wow, wow. That was a good gift, wasn't it? No, we have to think the Lord is something special when we give. He deserves us to lower ourselves and to give in the humblest way. And Mary was not above service in any way in this story. She didn't think she could have called a servant to come in and wash Jesus' feet for her. I mean, she did give the gift after all. No, she didn't call over Martha, who was already serving at the table, to try and take this service for her. No, she gave what she had. And she did it herself, and she humbled herself. This isn't a lesson for them. This is a lesson for me. That when I give, I give. I don't entrust others to give for me on my behalf and take care of giving for me. We are involved in our giving together. That's something that we can do as a church. And we know we can apply this to anyone because one chapter later in John, guess who washes feet? Jesus Christ himself gets down and washes his own disciples' feet. He is not too great for this service. He put himself in a lowly position for them. Anyone can give. Anyone can be humble. So our question is, will you? Will we? We can give together. But not everyone appreciated this gift. Judas had an objection to this great gift given to the Lord. And so he sees this gift and he starts to object. And John adds this added motivation that he had been stealing out of the money basket that could have gone to the poor. He, He sounded noble. Why don't we give this to the poor? But really his intentions were not good. Judas is so blinded by his greed here, we know that in a week he is going to sell Jesus for a fraction of the cost of this gift here. Greed is a huge barrier to our giving. Those with a giving heart, those are the ones ready for God and the kingdom of heaven. We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That last sentence sounds like Judas, doesn't it? He has wandered away from the faith and pierced himself with many pangs because of his greed. And when we do that ourselves, we look like the rich fool. When he came to Jesus to try to acquire more for himself rather than give, and rather to give away what he had. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He showed him a parable of a man who tore down his barn so that he could build bigger, more extravagant barns and save extravagant amounts for himself without thought to the Lord. And here is what Jesus said to him. You fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus has talked about the giving to the poor a lot throughout his time with the disciples. He has valued the poor and valued taking care of them, healing and feeding multitudes. And Jesus has shown that you should care for the sick. But Judas forgot who he served. He was in the presence of the king. He was in the presence of the Son of God. He, that king deserved every last drop of Mary's extravagant gift. And so finally, we see Jesus' response. He says, leave her alone. And for three reasons. You don't always have me. The value of Jesus himself should impact our giving. The disciples may not have understood exactly how valuable Jesus was. They may not have understood that Jesus was about to die and their time with him was running short. And the disciples had forgotten the value of Jesus. Reason number two was you will always have the poor. Our opportunities to give will always be available for us if we're looking for them. Jesus could be saying, if you really care about the poor, as you should, and I do, as I do, you now have the rest of your life to serve them with all your heart. And nothing Mary has done will stop you from doing that. In fact, what Mary has done here should help you to do that because Mary has been an example to us in giving and giving her best she has shown us what giving looks like and then the third reason is leave her alone because she has kept this for my burial she has kept this for the day of my burial knowing that my burial is at hand and Jesus relates every conversation back to his death and burial it is coming and Mary has prepared him for that Do not stop her from doing that. She used this ointment in a moment of faith. She should not be rebuked for her faith and her sacrifice that she gave. Jesus' burial was so important. She planned to anoint him then, but she was there to value him right then and there at this meal. How could Judas stop her from doing that? Jesus deserved every cent of that gift. Giving our best to the Lord is a worthy goal. We can learn so much about from Mary and her sacrificial giving that she showed towards Jesus. But we couldn't have this conversation about giving without seeing Jesus himself as the ultimate example of a giver. The cross is what ex- inspires us to give. Jesus has shown us what it looks like to give. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we stop there, but this next verse is so beautiful. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Without the gift of Jesus, we are lost Our Lord has shown us how to give, and he has proven himself by giving himself. And so this should leave us challenged today. This leaves us impressed by the calling of the giving of Jesus Christ in front of us. But do you know why this challenge is joyful for us? It's because the giving of Jesus Christ was for us. He gave us everything. He gave what he had to give, and he gave his best. If we want to find our place in the church we will give. That's what the head of our church has done. He is a giver for us, and so we can be givers for him. Thank you for listening. Tim is going to show, uh, to show us what our giving says at our 11 o'clock worship. I hope we can give better than ever together. It is what Christ deserves from us. We're going to sing a song together to encourage us, so please stand as we sing.